0: Hi, I'm Dan Kendall. I'm the founder of Mission-Based Media and the managing editor of Health Podcast Network. We're proud to work with some of the best creators of health podcasts in the world who are sharing insights and information that helps to make the world a healthier place. And we're able to provide this service to you at no charge through the support of our sponsors and advertisers. This episode is a coffee talk. It's an opportunity for us to learn from the leaders and changemakers that support our mission and who are working to be the change they want to see in the world. I'm really pleased to welcome the chief executive of one of our newest sponsors, and she's here to share some of the strategies and tactics that help successful organizations attract talented clinicians. My guest is Rochelle Doherty, she's the chief executive of Provider Solutions and Development. Now, we're going to cover a lot of ground in this episode, and you probably don't have a paper and pen handy to make notes, so there's an easy way to get access to all the resources, links, and content we discuss just go to healthpodcastnetwork.com/psd that's psd as in provider solutions and development you can find that link in the show notes of this episode as well and that will have links to all the information that we cover as well as some additional ones that we haven't been able to get to in this episode now let's jump into the conversation Rochelle, thanks so much for joining me let's get right to it i want to dive into the challenges in recruitment in healthcare but first Just for some context, tell me about your organization and the services you provide.
1: Thank you. It's great to be here. My name is Rochelle Doherty. I'm the Chief Executive of Provider Solutions and Development. Our organization is built out of Providence Health and Services, and that's Providence St. Joseph Health. We have been doing recruitment for the West Coast for about two decades, and for the last five years have gone nationally and support about 45 organizations. We'll recruit probably about 1,700 providers across the country this year. And we will manage over 2,000 searches. So a lot of experience in the space. I've seen a lot of changes across the decades, both in supply, demand, as well as shifting specialties, as well as the shift between physicians, as well as the advanced practice clinicians. So very, very dynamic space for sure.
0: There's no question that it's been a really difficult few years for everyone working in healthcare. And it was hard even before the start of the COVID-19 pandemic. So now as we're officially emerging from the National Public Health Emergency, what are some of the headwinds that organizations are facing when it comes to recruiting and retaining clinicians?
1: Yes, you know, it's multifactorial and it really started a couple decades ago when there were a lot of restrictions placed on how many medical schools could open, how many students they could take, as well as residencies, and capping how many trainees we could have. There was a study that's now a bit infamous that came out that said we were going to be oversupplied, and that cap came in pretty heavily. And we're now really seeing a lot of the sequela of that. And I would say that's a big piece of it. So we already were not training an adequate number for kind of what the population is doing. And in that population space, it's no surprise to anyone here or you, Dan, that we are seeing retirements in record numbers. The baby boomers are leaving commercial payers and going to Medicare And that puts a strain both on a hospital's ability to successfully recruit and pay providers, as well as the need. We need more to take care of an aging population. I think the third piece that's important to call out is the burnout epidemic. It was here pre-COVID, very much so. We saw huge numbers in the physician space as well as in the APC space. And COVID really has exacerbated that. And so that really impacts the supply of physicians because we're seeing either early retirements or we are seeing people taking their FTE down. So rather than working 36 hours a week, they might be working 24, as well as moving out of clinical practice. Lots of demand right now. Our recruiters are hearing every day calls from docs who might be 35 years old saying, hey, I'm burnt out on this clinical stuff. What do you have for me administratively? So those are the big ones. And they're really all kind of converging now to lead to a perfect storm.
0: Those factors certainly do put a strain on the ability to attract and retain a workforce. So let's talk about the attraction aspects first. What are some of the key things that healthcare organizations do to be successful in attracting top clinicians?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. You know, it's really shifting too. So it's interesting to talk about kind of what's happened traditionally as well as what we're needing to shift. I think the pieces that have always been in place and have to continue to be in place and are probably harder than ever for our health systems to adapt to are you need to be paying adequately for the market you're in. There's some constraints in the physician compensation space that there are not in other Areas. And so that is one piece. And then really the financial pressures right now on healthcare and health systems is pretty evident there. So that piece is big. And whether it be in sign-on bonuses, loan repayment is huge. And so when you have the average trainee coming out with $200,000 worth of debt... They are necessarily looking for ways to ease that burden from a salary perspective as well as from loan repayment and other sort of sign-on bonuses, that sort of a thing. So that's huge. And that has been something that we really are looking at in the attraction. Pieces that we are looking at that we haven't had to necessarily focus on as acutely over the past five years and certainly going into the foreseeable future is really a culture of collaboration rather than a culture of the physician as a business owner. So looking at team-based care, being able to supply an environment where the physician can feel like they are perhaps a quarterback versus the coach so that they are in the field with folks, whether it be advanced practice providers or whether it be pharmacists that are embedded into clinics. Whether that be really highly trained nurses as well as medical assistants, that is just more important than mm-hmm. ever. And I think the other piece for attraction that is especially acute with the Gen Z as well as the millennials who are coming out is Transparency and communication. The venues of both informal and formal communication have never been greater. And that's something that traditionally we haven't had to think as much about. Physicians have come out and have started jobs and really been very independent And we are really hearing a call for their voice on the administrative side to be heard. And I think that's going to be really key with the burnout prevention is that we are able to hear, listen, and react to that piece. And then last but certainly not least, for all providers that we speak to The focus on wellness is just a huge key. So what are you looking at from a call burden perspective? What are you looking at from EMR management? Are they going home and having to chart for X, Y, Z? Do they have assistance with that inbox? So a lot of pieces around making the work sustainable is just really key, both on the attraction side and certainly on the retention side.
0: It does sound like some of the attraction strategies you just described are the same things that employers should do to retain employees. You talked about communication, balance, support, wellness. Those are really important factors to incorporate into both internal and external messaging and support.
1: Yeah, and I think the key there, Dan, is you have to sell that on the front end. We have some practices we work with that literally the only thing we tweak is, how about you talk about that? Like they're already doing it, but they haven't been bringing that forward in that attraction stage. And so that piece is big. And then on the flip side of that, you have to follow through. So if you're talking about, yes, we have these physician voice is heard in these collaborative settings, et cetera, and they arrive and they're not seeing that happen That dissonance is something that this new generation of providers is highly, highly aware of and will react. And the reactions that we see now are very different than 10 years ago. Leaving contracts midterm, picking up and being willing to leave an employer when those kind of contracts, whether formal or informal, that they heard pre-hire are not actually carried through on the back end.
0: In recent years, there's been an increased focus on diversity, equity, and inclusion in the workplace and in communities. We know there are disparities in treatment for people who come from historically marginalized or underrepresented communities. And research shows that one way to address this is for those communities to have greater representation within the organizations that are providing care. So what recommendations would you make or do you make to employers who are trying to ensure they're recruiting a diverse workforce?
1: It's a tough one, especially in the physician and APC space. On the physician side, there's a big underrepresentation of ethnicity as well as race. And so we have to be very strategic on this. Looking at historically Black colleges, which have some great medical schools, is a place to really start far upstream. I would say a lot of the systems that we partner with also have residency programs. And I think there's a huge opportunity here that is often underutilized. To start from recruiting that year one, really having a huge focus on what does our community look like and let's make sure that our residents match that. And so getting upstream and being able to, from year one, have hired a diverse trainee pool and then start recruiting them from year one so that they aren't even looking for another employer when they're leaving training. And so I think those pieces are really big from an upstream perspective. Certainly once you have a candidate, it's really key that they're able to see others that might be in their same space, whether that be making sure that if they might have a certain religion or faith, you might want to show them the mosque in your community. Really being welcoming and partnering in a really strategic way around who they can connect with, other providers as well as let them know around that patient population what your current state is. And if it's less than ideal or doesn't really match the community you're in, kind of what those pieces your organization is doing to reach out and recruit that community. And I think one of the key pieces here, a lot of us are behind in this space. And I think that's okay to say to that potential recruit and Ask if they would be willing to be part of the solution there. I think that's one of the greatest pieces and gifts I think we have from this up-and-coming generations that are coming out is that they are eager to not just practice one-to-one patient care management, but really start to get upstream and impacting some of these broader health equity issues. And so really making sure that there's inclusion both on the staff side on the physician and APC side, as well as in the patient population, is a real key endeavor. I think that we are hearing more and more in the top five of trainees coming out, what they're looking for, and kind of that ideal organization to join.
0: With so much at stake to find and hire a qualified candidate, I can imagine that someone might be tempted to hire the first candidate that seems to check the boxes. So what advice would you give to someone who is tempted to hire that first qualified candidate when the alternative may mean waiting to find someone who's a better overall fit for the organization?
1: I think it happens to everyone once at least, because it is so, especially in some of the hard-to-fill specialties, which is frankly most of them these days, when you get someone who seems to check those boxes, there's just a real desire to fill that position. And why I say I think it happens at least once is, in most places, it only happens once. Because if you make that bad hire, the getting out of a physician and APC relationship is not easy. There's contracts. There's a lot of different steps you have to take. And then you have an entire patient population that gets really impacted negatively. And so it's very different, frankly, than if we're losing a regular caregiver because of both those patient relationships as well as how we contract with providers. And so I would say really trust your gut on these. I think in every case where I've helped someone unwind a bad hire, there is at least half of the folks who met them who go yeah we really weren't sure or you know yeah we caught this but we thought we could mitigate by and so when you have those kind of gut feelings really exploring those i don't think they're an automatic no but they are an opportunity to pause to figure out what questions will get there and i also think when you have any of that The reference checking goes from already very, very important to absolutely essential to have a physician on the phone with those references, not, you know, a recruiter so that they can really get good information about it. I think the only other thing to say in this space would be that when you bring in a provider to a community that is not a good fit, there are huge implications from a patient care perspective from a organizational reputational perspective as well as then your staffing and so i think it's no surprise to anyone listening to this how hard all of healthcare staffing is we're talking here about physician and apcs but how one of those clinicians is going to treat the rest of their staff and if that doesn't go well the attrition there is just a cost that i don't think any of us can afford and so My advice there is listen to that gut feeling. Listen to everyone on the panel when they start to raise concerns. Do your homework. A lot of pieces can come out in that reference space. And typically, it's provider to provider. It is not recruiter to that reference or worse, a third party backgrounder to that. And so, doing that work, I think it's like preventative medicine versus surgically incising the problem. I think. We all know that upstream is better in that space.
0: And how about from a physician or APC perspective, what advice do you have for professionals who are considering their career progression and what may be next for them?
1: It's really hard for them right now. I feel for them. For every one job that they will fill, there are three to four jobs that are open. And what that means is at any given time, their voicemail is going to have 10 to 100 voicemails from different organizations, third-party recruitment firms, sourcing agencies, staffing spaces. They are now getting a lot of texts. They are getting just inundated. And so Advice I would give to not do is go to your voicemail, pick that first voicemail, call them back, and let them go with it. Upfront research is going to be really important because there are as many good healthcare recruiters as there are not good healthcare recruiters. Word of mouth is a really big piece there. So if you can get advice on who to go to, and I would say... Trust your gut on that one, too. If you have a recruiter that you trust, they will move mountains to find you the kind of position that you want, and they'll do that work for you. And so you know, that's one of the pieces certainly Provider Solutions and Development prides ourselves on is we don't pay a penny in commission. Our recruiters, if they fill zero jobs or if they fill 100, they get the exact same salary because that's not why they're doing it. Of course, they want to make their partners happy, and we tend to do that very well. But we know that a candidate in a position that is the right fit for them is going to be perfect for our partners, and we don't want to give anything less. And that's not the case out there all the time. There are a lot of folks who you know, the fill is what is important and the physician or APC is viewed more as the commodity to get to that fill. And so I think having a recruiter who's on your side is probably the biggest piece. I guess my bottom line is really being thoughtful on the front end so that you have less work and cleanup on the back end. So a little bit of research I think saves a lot of time.
0: And speaking of time, we're almost at the end of our time together. So Rochelle, before I let you go, where can people find out more information about your organization and get in touch?
1: Our website, psdconnect.org, is a great place to start. It's both a job board, so it's got all of our partners on there. It's got all of the opportunities we have, but we also spend a lot of time with original research. So we have journal articles there that both highlight candidates that we've worked with, practices that we currently work with, communities, issues that are relevant to this space, And then one of the exciting things, I think, especially for folks who are listening who might be more actively looking for jobs or coming out of training, is what we call our GME Lounge. We have a team that staffs that lounge. And those advisors, they are different than our recruiters. They are really there to serve as career advisors. And that is a space really targeted for that job seeker who is needing to look at how to put together their CV. What to think about when looking at an organization, what questions to ask, as well as compensation, contract negotiations. So a lot of real practical pieces there. So those are good places to start.
0: Thank you, Rochelle, for all those resources. There is a lot there for people to check out. I also want to remind listeners that there's a webpage that your team at Provider Solutions and Development have set up that has a link to all those resources, all that information, and even more that we haven't been able to talk about on this program. You can get to that by visiting healthpodcastnetwork.com slash PSD. That's PSD as in Provider Solutions and Development. Again, healthpodcastnetwork.com slash And while you're there on the website, I also invite you to check out the two podcast channels that are being made possible with support from Provider Solutions and Development. Those two channels are the Healthcare Leader Podcast Channel and the Physicians Podcast Channel. Both are available on our website, healthpodcastnetwork.com, as well as your favorite podcast players. And on each of those channels, you'll find a curated list of episodes that have been selected from across the members of Health Podcast Network. I invite you to check that out and hope you enjoy it. And with that, Rochelle, thank you so much for coming on the program and for the work that you and your colleagues are doing to help clinicians achieve both career advancement and personal fulfillment. That mission is certainly aligned with ours as well. And we appreciate your support of the network, our podcasters, and our listeners.
1: Thank you so much, Dan. It was so great to connect with you.